This is the Inside Scoop with your hosts, Alex Sherman and Edmund Lee. Welcome to the Inside Scoop. I'm Alex Sherman, joined as always by Edmund Lee. This week we found out that Time Warner Cable and CBS finally reaching a deal. Finally. I mean, this story just went on forever. Uh, but the two sides coming to a deal before the NFL season begins this Sunday. And now we turn our attention to potentially the next battle between pay TV operator and programmer, and that is Dish and Disney. Disney, which owns ESPN. That's the key part there. And ABC Network. Right. Uh, so we get into the whole retrans thing again, potentially. Uh, that contract running out at the end of September. Uh, and the big question will be, will we see another blackout? Right. I mean, first of all, ESPN is a, a hugely important, big uh, cable network. Everyone's got it. Everyone kind of has to have it, I guess. They also charge the most, five and change per subscriber per month. That that dwarfs, you know, what CBS got from Time Warner Cable, which is not even $2 subscriber per month. So it's a different kind of fight. Also, you've got different personalities. You've got Charlie Ergen from Dish. Uh, who is uh, notable for his poker face, for his poker ability, certainly, his negotiating tactics, his, his hard-charging uh, stance. And uh, you've got, uh, on, the, you know, on, the, uh, on the Disney side, you've got, uh, who, who do we have on the Disney side? Bob Iger Bob runs Iger. the show, really. I mean, what's interesting on the Disney side, I think, is you've got a situation where a big part of this Time Warner Cable CBS debate was mobile rights. Les Moonves didn't want to give up the out-of-home mobile rights for CBS because he thinks that maybe down the road at some point he may be able to sell those mobile rights exclusively to a new entrant, like a Google or an Apple. Intel, Intel, Sony, Sony, et cetera, or even Netflix or Amazon if they decided to go into the live streaming business. And he would be able to make a lot of money on it because it would be exclusive rights, the only game in town to have... CBS out-of-home rights. Disney, not so. Disney has taken a different mobile strategy. They've made a lot of these watch apps, watch ESPN, watch Disney, right. watch ABC, and they're already rolling them out with these different pay TV contracts. So this this exclusive mobile chip that CBS uh, sort of dangled in front of Time Warner Cable and ultimately didn't give them, Disney doesn't have. Uh, Disney is willing to give you out-of-home rights as part of the package, but they're going to make you pay up for them. And Dish has been a historically, uh, I don't want to say cheap, but let's say frugal company, uh, and that takes after Charlie Ergen himself. Uh, they're, they're only going to pay for you know what they think they need. And the question here, I think, is this is something Charlie Ergen has said for actually years. One day, will there be a pay TV operator that decides it doesn't make financial sense to spend the billions of dollars it takes to pay for all of the different sports networks out there. Now, he hasn't said that Dish would be that that particular provider. However, he throws this thought out at a lot of different earnings conference calls he has where he just sort of pontificates, one day there'll be a pay TV provider that takes a stand, and then they'll be able to offer the bundle of channels for much less because they won't have to pay for all of these different sports networks. So there, there's a there's a special kink in that whole ESPN thing in terms of the rights, right? They have a, ESPN tends to have a special provision with a lot of the the pay TV guys that says that ESPN has to be made available to the most popular 
uh, package, right. right? So it tends to be the cheapest one or maybe the one right above the cheapest one. And whatever the most popular one is, meaning whatever most people pay for, ESPN has to be in as part of that package, which kind of hurts the pay TV guy sometimes, right? right. It, it tends to be – it doesn't actually tend to be the cheapest one because the cheapest one is usually just broadcast channels. Right. The thing is no one takes the, the, that package because right. people want you know better content. So they tend to get basic cable, and that, of course, has ESPN right. in it. Um, the question, I think, though, is that Charlie Ergen is saying is if one provider decides that they're going to eliminate not just ESPN but all sports networks, all regional sports networks, uh, you know, no Fox Sports 1, no NBC Sports Network, then th- potentially this pay TV provider could just offer more of like an entertainment bundle, which, in fact, DirecTV has. DirecTV does offer an entertainment package for about 30 bucks a month that doesn't include sports. And what they've seen so far is that there's sort of a minimum take rate for it. And I think ultimately I would highly doubt that Dish becomes this particular provider that Charlie Ergen is talking about. In fact, back in la- about a year ago, I sat down with Charlie Ergen in Orlando, and he had brought this up a few months before I spoke to him, the same issue of one day a provider not taking sports. And I said to him, point blank, "Is are you talking about Dish? And he said, no, you know, not necessarily, <laughs> um, because I think he realizes that among Dish's 14 million subscribers, a lot of those people still watch sports. Now, maybe they're not the premium sports users. Those, I think, are going to direct TV over Dish. However, there's still a lot of people in rural America, Dish's core audience, that need to watch football, that want to watch football. And that's why I would be very surprised if a Dish-Disney dispute uh, went down that path where ultimately Dish walked away completely from Disney. Not saying that there may not be some sort of blackout. Maybe there would be. But I would be highly surprised if Dish were, in fact, this mystery company that Charlie Ergen talks about in the hypothetical that were to walk away from sports entirely. But it, but isn't also part of the uh, the rub here that you know a lot of these pay TV guys don't heavily market other packages because they know if they do so, they that becomes a popular package. ESPN now has to be thrown into sure. that and they have to pay the $5. For, for sure. No question. I so, think DirecTV has not heavily marketed their entertainment package. Right. Um, so, what, but that's that's the thing, though, is that Charlie Ergen, as we all know, is a tough negotiator. Uh, what kind of blackout, potential blackout, do you think we could be seeing in, in this this upcoming fee fight? I don't know that we'll see one. Uh, from from the sense I get, both sides have expressed optimism that a deal will come together, uh, particularly after this month long Tom Warner Cable CBS dispute. Uh, it would be interesting, and I think, you know, all these Dish customers that may have been watching this dispute from afar and thinking, thank God I don't have Time Warner Cable, <laughs> you know, if, if they lose ESPN and ABC, I think they would be that even, would be even huge, worse right. shape. Uh, however, I do think there is a possibility that we may see the two sides go at it a little bit if a deal is not done as we get close to that deadline. And you never know. I mean, Dish was willing to black out AMC for three months, so they certainly are willing to take a stand if necessary. But it's it's. I guess the question would be this. Does Dish want to be the next company to publicly come out and say, look, programming costs have gotten too high and we're going to take a stand? Because a lot of the battle between Tom Warner Cable and CBS, I think, was PR. Right, who's going to win that war? And the thing is, unfortunately, it's the pay TV guys that tend to get hit with that most from the consumers because they're paying that that's who the consumers are paying. They're not paying CBS or ABC. I mean, they are ostensibly, but they're not cutting checks to to, C, to CBS and to, and to ABC. It's going to Dish and Time Warner Cable, you know, Comcast, whatnot. And so 
those are the people they're going to complain against. And, you know, whenever they have outages that have nothing to do with, you know, fee disputes, just the service isn't working, they just have a, they just have bad experience in general. And I think, you know, uh, rightly or wrongly, it, it's the cable guys, it's, it's the satellite guys that t- t- tend to bear the brunt of, of consumers' ire. Another point I think that maybe puts Dish at a disadvantage to Time Warner Cable as far as a company taking a stand, not to say it is impossible because DirecTV did this with Viacom last year, but when satellite companies take a stand, they don't have the added stickiness that cable companies have in that they don't provide you typically with internet and phone. No broadband service, right. Exactly. So it's just TV, which may make it easier for a subscriber to say, you know what, I'm leaving Dish. I'm going to go get my local cable service instead because it might be an easier switch for them. They don't have to figure out, all right, now what am I going to need a new broadband service here? Am I just going to cancel TV and keep the broadband service? It may be harder for uh, a customer to make that decision with cable than it is with satellite. Or, or, But it's also possible that a lot of these people that get DISH Network get it because it is the best deal in town. Maybe they live in an area where there isn't any cable access. Right. So it's possible that DISH may make the calculus that they have enough leverage. They won't lose that many subscribers. It's just that Disney is a real tough one to pick a fight with. It's not as easy as CBS, which just has CBS and Showtime for some customers. Right, and that's the other aspect here, which is CBS doesn't really bring a bundle to this kind of right. – into their negotiations. They've got CBS and Showtime and a few other – I think uh, a few other uh, smaller channels, Smithsonian. I mean, these aren't channels that exactly right. Whereas Disney comes in, they've got ABC, ABC Family, ESPN, Disney uh, Channel, Disney Channel. It's it's a it's a it's a a big bundle. It's an important bundle, and it's a harder thing to to kind of just cut off one way or the other. CBS comes in, it's just CBS that they're really arguing for. So I think that's another uh, different aspect here. I also do think that what do you think this means? I mean. As you pointed out earlier, broadband as a service um, is something that the cable companies, it's a good business for them, better margins, better profits. Uh, it's a growing business, whereas the video part of the business is either flat or declining. Do you think for the satellite guys who can't offer broadband, they have to find other ways, right? right. So DISH, DirecTV, consolidation, that's another uh, question here. Does this in any way prompt more of that, do you think? Or? Well, so two points on that. On the one hand, I suppose it would lead you to think maybe DISH would make a public spectacle of this. If they showcased how expensive programming is, maybe that would help convince regulators to accept a DISH Direct TV consolidation down the road right. if, in fact, that is the direction Charlie Jurgen wants to go in. On the other hand, you point out that satellite companies are actually – potentially weaker than the cable companies because they don't have broadband to fall back on. So maybe Dish says, you know what, we're not strong enough to have a fight with Disney. We need Disney. We, we can't risk losing all these customers because we don't have a buffer. We don't have anything to fall back on here. Uh, and if we just lose video customers, it just means our business will just go down and down. Uh, so it's, I think, again, it's going to be uh, sort of weighing both sides for Charlie Ergen. Now, Charlie Ergen, maybe more than anyone, is willing to take a stand even if it means losing a little business because, frankly, he owns and controls the company. Right. Uh, and he is one of the wealthiest men in the world, um, a multi-billionaire, 10 11 $12 billion. I'm not sure what his net worth is exactly, but it's in that range. So he's certainly willing to take a small-term hit if he thinks it's for the long-term betterment of the company. Um, but I don't know if this particular d- dispute is going to be the one that does it. If you listen to both sides so far, both ESPN and Charlie Ergen, it does sound more optimistic than pessimistic. Do you think also that, you know, given how protracted the dispute was between CBS and Time Warner Cable, that they just, it kind of left a bad taste in consumers' mouths, so neither side, uh, Dish or, or, or ABC, wants to get into this whole kind of, you know, 
PR fight again. You know, we've seen what's happened. Let's not let's not do this, guys. Let's try to get to a deal before it, it turns bad. I think that it probably depends on what Charlie Ergen thinks of the state of the business right now. If he thinks that it's the time is right for him to keep hammering away at this general issue to get the public and regulators aware at it, maybe he thinks the time is right now to do this. If he thinks that. Uh, he, the status quo is probably better for him right now, better for the state of the business, then maybe he won't go down that road. Okay. So it looks like content is still king. They're still winning out. They're, you know, it'll, it's, they're going to continue to win, win these things or, or have the better edge in these things. Uh, largely because they, you know, they're, they're, it's becoming a long-standing tradition. People don't see the programmers as necessarily the bad guys in this, um, or at least it's not how it tends to play out in the PR world. So, uh, the distributors are still kind of, you know, crimped in this kind of, uh, uh, fight, and we'll have to see what alternative steps they have to take, whether it means consolidation, whether it means government intervention. You know, Glenn Britt, Tomer Cable, he called on Congress to kind of, hey, look, you guys need to look at this whole retransmission consenting again because it's hurting us. Uh, we're losing video subscribers, and we can't continue to charge more. So uh, we'll have to see how that plays out. So let's transition into a new topic. Um, BuzzFeed came out and released a bit of financial information, at least saying that they were profitable. Right. Jonah, Jonah Peretti, who's the CEO of BuzzFeed, he uh, put up a memo. He sent out a memo to employees yesterday, and, and he posted it up on LinkedIn. Uh, it's a lengthy memo. He's known for these memos. He's basically saying, he said for the first time, BuzzFeed is profitable. And uh, he wouldn't say how much revenue it was generating, but his 300 employees and 85 million uniques a month, which is a ton, uh, he wouldn't cite the source of that information, whether it was a Comscore numbers or Google Analytics or whatever. Chances are it's not Comscore. Uh, this is a bit of a surprise. It's only been up for a few years, and there's a lot of attention paid to a lot of these sort of uh, sort of publishing startups. BuzzFeed is uh, the the latest iteration of that, and they, they're known for their listicles and their cat slideshows, uh, as well as serious stuff. They've got some pretty good political coverage and some business coverage as well. Uh, Peter Kafka, of all things, D reported today that, or you know, former uh, guest on the show, exactly right. That uh, you know, he actually he did some reporting, and found out that they're projected to to make about sixty million dollars this year. Uh, which seems to make sense if you compare that to what Peretti was saying in his memo about we, we were doing seven, close to 700 ad campaigns. Now, here's what the difference is that unlike other websites, there are no banners, there are no buttons, there are no traditional adver- digital advertising. They do native advertising. Now, native advertising is this uh, newfangled thing where basically it's it's whatever content that they typically produce that's either sponsored by an advertiser or you know even uh, content around the advertiser itself, the product that they're producing. Uh, and if it, it's clear or more or less clear to the reader that, oh, this was sponsored or brought to you by or essentially paid for whatever the product happens to be. So it's not, uh, you know, there's a, there's a phenomenon called banner blindness, basically, where you don't ever see banner ads anywhere. They're essentially ineffective. No one, no one clicks on them. This way, it's like you don't have to prove they clicked or didn't click. It's like if they happen to read the story, they read the story. Uh, so it, it seems to prove the point, his point that native advertising is the way to go, that it seems to be uh, the thing to do. I don't really know, though, that he can sustain this uh, going forward just because um, there's just way too much First, there's just too much content going on all the time out there. Uh, native advertising is still a relatively new thing. A lot of advertisers, what they tend to do is when there's a new shiny object, they tend to put money there just because they have to prove we're trying to innovate, we're trying to do new things. Um, and so social or native advertising is one of you know, the latest things. So we're, we're going to spend some money there. Next year, they might change their minds. They'll be like, yeah, we already spent some money there. It was interesting. We don't know if it really worked. So we're now going to spend money on this next thing now. So who knows if they're going to can sustain that? But I think these were some interesting numbers that have uh, 
finally sort of shed some light on, you know, the, the so-called listicles empire that BuzzFeed is. And I think something to, to keep an eye out for. I, I think the skepticism is, you know, whether advertisers will continue to, to, to buy into it or not. Perhaps it's one of the reasons why BuzzFeed is experimenting with doing more video also. Right. There was just an article on Digiday talking about Bloomberg, right. uh, saying how Bloomberg has done very well in making these short clips of video because they're able to attach advertising at a much higher CPM um, than what a just a generic print or banner ad right. would be. So if they're making more money for each of these uh, video ads, then perhaps that's sort of appealing to BuzzFeed. Maybe they can get something going. You on know, that's a good point. Uh, not just not just Bloomberg and BuzzFeed, but the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Facebook, for that matter. Everyone's trying to create, you know, more video. Video inventory generates higher ad dollars, largely because uh, the advertisers they already spent a lot of money to create these commercials. They're posting them up on on TV at really high rates. Why can't I just use the same? You know, in the same kind of creative and just throw it up online as well. I mean, that's a cheap way to do it, but it is a way to kind of uh, help what they call frequency targeting, which is basically advertisers realize if they know I've hit, you know, my target customer three times in a given week, that they're more likely to buy the product, right? The thing with TV, though, is it's hard to determine if you've hit the same guy two or three times. When you do it online, you can actually track, you know, oh, I've hit this demographic enough times this week. I know it's going to improve my sales. So the fact that they're trying to marry both television to online is actually really important to advertisers. It's not just some kind of gimmick thing. It's a way to actually kind of get some better feedback as to, oh, I've hit my right frequency, so to speak. And so I think, you know, uh, there's a real opportunity. That's why all of these guys, including Bloomberg, including BuzzFeed, including New York Times, are trying to create video inventory. I think everyone's doing it in different ways. Uh, and we're having, we still have to wait to see, like, what, what seems to be the best way to do it, what, seem, what advertisers are flocking to. It's yeah. funny. Whenever I hear one of these stories about a new startup media site making money, Business Insider came out with something like this about six months ago, also right. saying that they were making money. As a journalist, I'm always very happy about it because I'm like, oh, okay, More. a startup media is profitable. Like <laughs> right. simply making money in this industry now, if you're a new player to the game, I find it's it's sort of – it's not just uh, uh, heartwarming, but it's also – uh, I'm a little bit uh, optimistic about the potential that our work and our content can, in fact, be monetized. You know, it's a good point. You know who else is optimistic, certainly? Jeff Bezos, you know, Amazon uh, founder who bought the Washington Post, uh, $250 million. He, he made some news again recently for actually visiting the newsroom of the Washington Post, and he didn't really say much. He offered little little bits of wisdom here and there. He basically said he's optimistic. You know, he's optimistic for the future of journalism. At the same time, he also said, I don't know what the answer is. Right. Um, so, you know, a guy like that worth $25 billion, uh, if he, he – and he's he's a he's he's a smart businessman. He's not making these kinds of bets willy nilly or for or for egotistical reasons. He's actually a pretty press shy guy, ironically enough. So uh, if he somehow hits upon a, some kind of a, a solution, if the Wash if it gives the Washington Post more sort of runway to kind of figure out what to do, whether it's video, whether it's paywall, whether you know Bezos talked about the bundle of news, so to speak, which is you know newspapers typically had its own bundle, which is there's front page, there's all these other sections. Two or three of these sections paid for the rest, right? Think about like the if we're talking about TV rights and TV bundles in their in their uh, negotiations with the the distributors, it's sort of the same thing. The problem with the internet though is it disintermediates you know the bundle, basically takes away the idea of a package of stories. 
Uh, it even takes away the value of the particular destination or brand, uh, and the Internet becomes one big newspaper. You turn the next page, it's a completely different newspaper, that but kind of thing. Right? But it also becomes one big TV, potentially. So right. it will be interesting to see how the various uh, old media companies and what they do, you know, you had newspapers and you had television stations and you had radio and you had Dis- magazines. Discrete media, right. Right, the convergence that happens in the next 10 or 15 years or right. so as the technology you know, creeps up. It'll be interesting to see how these different media companies see themselves as, because all the newspapers that you just mentioned are going into video that makes them more like TV stations. Right. Of course, already the TV stations now have websites that exactly make them more right. like newspapers. So it'll be interesting, I think, to see what type of consolidation takes place and just sort of who succeeds, who wins, and who loses in this world. I think I think ultimately you're you're right. I think the the, the idea around some kind of consolidation, because ultimately. If you're still looking at advertisers or advertising as a as a big source of revenue, which it still will be for years to come, advertisers don't like to spend their money in a thousand different places. They want to spend their money in as few places as possible to get the same return, right? I don't want to te- talk to a thousand different people, ten people. Who are the ten, right? Uh, so chances are that that sort of dynamic, that running dynamic, will also sort of you know kind of enforce or suggest a certain kind of consolidation down the road. So we'll have to see how that plans out as well. So uh, a lot of interesting things happened this week. A lot of, uh, you know, billionaires in the news as usual, um, TV, newspapers, uh, digital, uh, and uh, we'll have to keep an eye on all these as, as we move along. No guest this week. Hopefully that was entertaining for you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back with a guest next week. Don't worry. You've been listening to the Inside Scoop, the Bloomberg Media Podcast.